Well, we do live in an amazingly beautiful world. Our daughter and her husband were vacationing in Banff last week. Ridiculously beautiful place. Uh, I've never been there, uh, but it's definitely on my bucket list now. Uh, Deb and I were in Yosemite five years ago. Uh, probably the favorite place I've, I've ever been. Uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, I actually run out of words trying to think of what I saw and how to communicate it. I actually think that we live in uh, a pretty beautiful place. I love Iowa. I love the Midwest, don't you? I mean, I love the view from our living room. It's, uh, it's not Banff. It's, it's not Yosemite. It's the Cedar River, and we love it. We've, uh, we've actually been out of our house since last fall while it's been... It's being rebuilt, and, and we miss it terribly. I think I'm, I'm experiencing kind of a low-grade depression over these past nine months. And yes, the floods are a challenge and a bit of a nuisance, but in between those times, it's like our neighbor and good friend Carla Chestnut always says, we get to live here. God has created a beautiful world for us to live in. Yes, there are parts of the world that are harsh and dark, uh, even ugly and broken, but you can't deny that we live on a planet that is filled with beauty and wonder. Have you ever experienced a moment when you've been overwhelmed by the beauty of the world? Have you had a time recently when something grabbed your attention, maybe made you catch your breath, a, a breathtaking moment when you were touched by the beauty of the world? Where were you? What did you see? A couple weeks ago, Deb and I stopped at the River House to check on the progress, and, and we were picking up a few things around the yard, and, and Deb came over, me, over to me, and she, she quietly took my hand and, and led me over to a pile of wood, and she pointed into the grass, and she whispered to me, Look, isn't that beautiful? I mean, she was so tiny. And since then, we've seen her and her mom dancing around the neighborhood a few times. Incredible. These are the first words in the first book of the Bible. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And we can all have different views on how the world was created, but I am absolutely convinced that God did the creating. This is my Father's world. Have you ever been drawn closer to God by, by being outside, by seeing what God has created? If you have, and you've walked down the sacred pathway of the naturalist. You worship God by being outdoors. Gary Thomas wrote a book about 20 years ago called Sacred Pathways. It's been such a good book for me, such a helpful book for me over the years. Thomas talks about the frustration many of us have trying to find and connect with God. We we think it needs to look the same way for everybody. 
And I've struggled with that and with the guilt that goes with trying to make that work. How you connect with God is different from how I connect with God because we're all different. And that's God's design. It's okay for you to be you. Thomas identifies nine different pathways that people use to connect with God. And it's freed me up to know that I'm, I'm a naturalist. I encounter God best when I'm outside experiencing God's creation. And I bet I'm not alone. Matter of fact, um, I talked to our staff about this and asked how many of them identified with this pathway. And almost all of them said, I do. So get the book if you want. Find out about the other eight pathways, and you can also go online and take this assessment to find your top pathways. The naturalist pathway has always been a part of my story. Uh, I've always loved being outside, exploring, taking little adventures. My favorite family trips were ones that kept us outdoors, camping, fishing, canoeing, uh, traveling to national parks. My favorite subject in school was biology and art, animals and plants, rocks and trees, water and sky. It was all so fun and fascinating. I tried to capture it on film or by sketching it on a piece of paper. I wanted to hang on to the beauty that I saw and that I found. I studied biology and chemistry in college. I planned to be a veterinarian. God had other plans for me. But I always kept my love of nature and have connected deeply with God while outside. It's part of why we moved to the river a few years ago, so that we can have access to that beauty every day. St. Francis of Assisi once wrote, A single sunbeam is enough to drive away many shadows. That's so true. Now, a naturalist may find it challenging to come on Sunday morning inside a building and sit on chairs inside for an hour or more inside with a whole bunch of people inside. Now, that's not to say that it's wrong by any means to gather like we do on Sunday mornings. I believe it's very important, but it's also important to recognize that there are other ways to connect with God, either on your own or with a group of people. Naturalists want to get outside, and that's where they connect best with God. Gary Thomas says, where we worship can have a profound impact on the quality of our worship. The place where you worship can either improve your worship or it can take away from it. So if there's a place or if there's an activity that helps us connect with God, helps you connect with God and hear from God and learn about God, then it's something worth paying attention to. Lots of things impact our ability to connect with God. The places we gather can have a positive or a negative impact on how we worship. God can use a building, a room, a place for us to encounter him. But we need to understand that there's no such thing as a holy place. There's no room that God's designated as the place where people have to gather to find him. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, there was a place called the temple. It was a holy building. 
It was where Israel came to encounter God. That temple had a holy place. And then in that holy place, there was even a holier place called the Holy of Holies, where once a year the high priest could enter. And before he went in, this high priest had to go through all sorts of rituals to get clean and make sure that he was forgiven of all of his sins. Because if he didn't, and he went in anyway, God would strike him dead. It was the holiest of places where God could be found. But then Jesus died on a cross and he was resurrected from the dead. And because of that, everyone who believes in him can enter the Holy of Holies. And by that I mean we have access to God. We don't have to go through these rituals to get clean. Because Jesus did that. We don't need a special place. The curtain in front of the Holy of Holies was torn in two when Jesus died. We don't need a high priest to do it for us. Jesus is our high priest. We can come before God anywhere, anytime, alone or together, just as we are. The book of Hebrews says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters... We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. When we choose to believe in and follow Jesus, God becomes a part of our lives. And we become God's temple. God lives in us. Paul writes about this in his first letter to the Corinthians. Don't you know that you, yourselves, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So what does that mean? The holy place, God's temple, the place where God can be found is wherever God's people are. It's where I am. It's where you are. It's where we are together. We call this room where we gather every Sunday morning a place of worship. And that can be easily misunderstood. This becomes a place of worship when we are here. In the meantime, it's simply a gym, a community center, a great big room. Our living room. When we gather with friends or family and talk about faith and life and encourage each other and even pray, that becomes a place of worship. Our kitchen table, my office, our porch, our backyard, all become places where we can encounter God. Here's another place. And God's Spirit can meet us here, too. And here. We can be with God anywhere, inside or outside alone or together. Open skies can be God's cathedral, his sanctuary, a place that only God has built, a place where we can find God and we can know him better. And so naturalists find that getting outside can be good for their souls. And to be honest, even if nature isn't your primary spiritual pathway, I have a hunch that most of us find some kind of a refreshment in nature more times than not. Can we encounter and worship God indoors? Absolutely. Are we limited to that? 
No way. We can worship God anywhere. Some people learn their best lessons outside. I think Deb appreciates my kayak as much as I do, maybe even more. Uh, There have been many days when I've come home confused, upset, hurt, disappointed, just plain exhausted. I've climbed in the kayak, pushed out into the river, and paddled upstream. An hour or two or more on the water can clear my head, give me a better perspective, lighten the weight I'm carrying. God somehow increases in size and I get appropriately smaller and so do my problems and worries and fears and doubts. Same thing, same thing happens when Deb and I sit by the fire late at night. Not saying much of anything, just listening to the owls. A week ago, I got up at 4.30 a.m., and there's not much that's going to move me at that time of the day. Uh, but I was going fishing with my son on Father's Day, and Carter Moore tagged along. And we went up to Sweet Marsh, uh, north of Tripola. It's a gorgeous place, especially when the birds are migrating. And we had such a great morning, great conversation, enjoyed every minute, and I didn't catch a single stinking fish. And I want you to know that I missed being here that morning, which I seldom do, so that I could be there. But I still encountered God. I was still in church. The ceiling was just a little bit higher. Nature can help us see God more clearly. Listen to Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet, their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. I wonder sometimes if the Bible is meant to be read outdoors. Paul Paul writes about this in his letter to the Romans. For ever since the world was created... People have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You want to see God? Go outside. But we got to be careful. And look at how this ends. They have no excuse for not knowing God. We're invited to be open to see God for who he really is, to allow our assumptions to be challenged, to let God grow bigger and bigger. Now, nature can also show us that God's beauty is not limited. Our culture has a pretty limited definition of beauty. And as we look for God in nature, we don't see sameness. We see variety, deserts and rivers, and plains and mountains, animals and plants, Big and tiny, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Such amazing variety. Such a chaotic, mysterious picture of God's creative power. Being outdoors can also remind us to rest. If you're feeling burned out, feeling overloaded, facing a crisis, you can discover some rest by going outside 
taking a walk, a run, a hike, going on a picnic, or even for a drive. Gary Thomas writes, we don't always need a change. Sometimes we just need to rest, and there's no better place to rest our bodies and our souls than outside. Now, Gary Thomas is a naturalist, so am I. Some might believe that there's no better place to rest than in their bed, and, and that's, that's absolutely fine. But some of us, when we get outside, we begin, we begin to relax. We begin to lighten up. Now, just being outside, whether it's fishing or biking or gardening or golfing or boating or sitting under a tree in your backyard is not a replacement for intentionally learning about and connecting with God, but it can help us to draw closer to God. Jesus would often go to lonely places to rest and pray. And he taught his friends and followers to do the same thing. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, now let's go off to our, by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were too many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. Jesus taught his friends to find a quiet place away from the crowds, away from the noise, away from the demands so that they could rest. And no matter what your pathway is to connect with God, there are always dangers. And the pathway of the naturalist can lead to isolation and individualism. You want to be by yourself all the time, doing what you enjoy outside. Jesus spent time alone in the wilderness, but most often he did it to talk to his father. So don't use the naturalist pathway as an excuse to avoid people. And to avoid opportunities to use your gifts and strengths to love people. The church needs you. God needs you to stay connected with him and the needs of the people around you. And you need other people. You need their insight and wisdom. I mean, I've had some great ideas when I've been out kayaking alone. And some of them have been really good ones. But some of them, when I got back into the company of my wife and my friends turned out to be just plain nuts. We need each other. And we can also end up idolizing nature. Psalm 24 reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Not that the earth is the Lord. The danger is that we worship creation instead of the creator. We don't worship nature. We worship God. And that can be a challenge for some of us. We find so much enjoyment being outside, which is good. But we can't forget to thank the one who created it all for us. So how do we walk this naturalist pathway? It could be as simple as just doing it. Take a hike. Go for a walk. And do it with your your head up and your eyes open. Watch, listen, pay attention. Enjoy what you see and experience. Allow yourself to be distracted. I mean, too many times, Deb and I have gone out for a walk and we get so focused on the activity. How far? How many steps? How long? How fast? What's next? And we miss the moment. 
We miss the beauty that's right beside us. Did you see that deer? What kind of a bird was that? Look at how gorgeous those bluebells are. And you know, if I miss it, I may be missing something that God has to share with and even to say to me. And you don't have to walk. You can find a place to go and rest outdoors, somewhere quiet where you can enjoy what's around you. Maybe you've got a spot, a park, a garden, a porch, next to a window where there's a great view, a place along a trail, or next to a lake or river. So go, sit, be quiet, listen, journal, sketch, read, pray. How long has it been since you've gotten away from the lights and the noise of the town and the city and, and went to enjoy the stars somewhere or watched a lightning storm and marveled at the power and the vastness of God, the creator? Sometimes a walk in the woods is just that, a walk in the woods. But sometimes a walk in the woods is an opportunity to experience who God is, to connect with God, to work through the, the frustrations and the challenges of life, to talk with God and to worship God. So I want to challenge you this week. Maybe when it dries up. To go outside Take a hike. Allow yourself to be distracted. Look for God the creator amongst his creation. Let's pray. Creator God, for the beauty of of this world, we give you thanks for how it inspires and touches us, the impact it can have on our, our souls, especially when we're feeling weary or troubled. You, God, are a good and beautiful God, and you have given us a world in which we can see and experience and enjoy that goodness and that beauty. Help us to be reminded of that. Help us to make time, to find time in which to appreciate you and what we see around us. And over these weeks, as we listen, may we also find other ways to be encouraged to discover and find you as well. We pray this in your creative and powerful name. Amen.